Before we jump in, I would love to read a blessing over you that, as I was preparing the sermon, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to bless over you. So you have it in your booklet, but I'm actually just to bow your head to close your eyes and just let me speak it over you. And if you would take that handout, not because it's my notes, but because the blessing's on the front. And if you would, I challenge you to incorporate this blessing this week in your life. Make it a personal prayer that you speak over yourself, over your family, over those you know, co-workers, anybody you're around. Just pray this blessing over them. And so I'll read it over you. May the Ancient One bless you and keep you. May the Holy Hero, Jesus, be your rescuer forever. May the Gospel story find you through every painful and joyful passage and at home with him in the end. May you delight in his love and exult in his victory for you now and forevermore. May you always aspire to live out your calling and resemble the one who chose you as his own. May you know the delight of finding out that life isn't mainly about you. May you know and love the truth and be brave to obey it. May you make a hard dart at the darkness with whatever light you bring, reflecting like an image, a light far brighter than your own. May God give you joy. Amen. I was just praying as I was preparing this message a long time ago, and this blessing just came out, and I came here, I tried to get here before Jeff practiced, I didn't know he came when he that late, but I was here late, and uh, before he came, I got to, I was praying this blessing over your chairs, over your families, over this. So, we're going to look at a, a, a chapter of the Bible that seems pretty hard to take, and it should, but also there's these little tidbits of God coming in and promising things. And so we're going to look at Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it. I always had a problem pronouncing it in seminary because I went to seminary six months after I was saved and I didn't know half these book names and so it was really fun getting to know these things. It was like Disneyland for the Bible for me. But before we jump in, we're going to look at chapter 2, but before we can jump in, I'm going to give you a little backdrop of this book. And I'll make it so simple. God's godly nation was being disciplined by an ungodly nation. And Habakkuk is bewildered. Questions arise with Habakkuk, and you see this in his writings. He asks questions kind of like, how can God do this? How does this make sense? Why would he do this? One of the reasons I love Habakkuk is because of his bluntness. Theologians say that Habakkuk and a couple other prophets are not like your typical prophet. See, a typical prophet would be sent from God to speak God's word to his people. But Habakkuk was a man sent from the people to speak the people's word to God. 
Okay? And he speaks to our bewilderment of things. When you read this book, it's so, it can become so personal. He articulates our puzzled attempts to make sense of the things going on in our world. And he faces God with his people, and even, even when you personalize it, our disappointments with God at times. He insists that God pays attention to them and how he does pay attention. See, Habakkuk doesn't realize that God does pay attention to his people. He pays attention to you. Now, that could seem scary, but it shouldn't. It should be a comfort. My God sees me. He knows where I am. He knows what's going on, and he is very present in my time of need. He's not absent. He don't sit there and say, okay, when you figure it out and get to the end, I'll be right here waiting. But he's not like that kind of dad. He's a dad that's very present, very active, very loving. Even when we don't understand his hand, we have to trust his heart. The name Habakkuk means two things. It means embraced, or it could also mean wrestler. See, he was, a, he was an embracer because Habakkuk was troubled by the chaos of his age. The chaos of his people. The justice and the goodwill of his people he was concerned about. And his desperate pleads for God to intervene. See, he was, he was, he was the embracer because he was embracing his people, saying, God, here they are, where are you? But... When he found out that God was going to use the cruel empire of Babylon to punish Judah, Habakkuk struggled to understand God's decision and how it relates to God's overall mission in the world. This is how he was the wrestler. He was wrestling with himself about what God was doing. Have you ever wrestled with God inwardly? You see, in church, we like to put on this face. This persona that we're all okay, we're good. When inside, sometimes there's depression, there's anxiety, there's struggles. And if we wouldn't hide it, if we would actually confess it to the Lord and confess it to one another, we may find that we actually are healed faster than if we try to do it on our own. We were never meant to wrestle on our own. The church is the body of Christ. It's the family of God. And you can't be family by yourself. So let's read Habakkuk chapter 2. And if I start crying when I read, I apologize. I'm a crier. <laughs> I get very emotional when I read the scriptures. Chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post. And station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. His complaints in chapter 1. And the Lord answered me. What act of grace that God would answer him. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. 
It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor. One translation says wealth is a traitor. An arrogant man who is never at rest. He never has enough. Ever. There's always more to go, more to go, more to go. It's this kind of man. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all the nations and collects as his own all the peoples. Even when he's got everything he desires, it's still not enough. Here, God is describing mankind this way. Never satisfied. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reaches of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall in the beam. From the woodwork responds. God would make the stones cry out for people to listen. That's what he's saying. That's how how much he's going to do. Like you think you're safe, dude. The the stone in that wall is going to cry out to you and say, no, the would-be. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and found a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts That people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's not, all this isn't happening for nothing. God's doing something. Even in the midst of evil, he's moving. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness, to shame them. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that actually terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. I love this shift right here. 
What profit is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. It's made to look beautiful, but it has no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Listen, this is a heavy chapter. My God. I read this. Jeff was on the uh, elliptical back there while I was practicing because it was a little weird him being here while I practiced. But I just read this and I'm just saying, oh my God. Without you, this is what we are. This is what we trust in. This is what we put a hope in. This is where we look and oh how short and how contaminated this could be. Chapter 1 in Habakkuk, he complains and has confusion about God. How can this be? But in verse 5, chapter 1, God answers the first complaint he has with this. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astonished. So here is Habakkuk complaining and God saying, look, I'm doing something that's going to literally bring you in awe. You have no idea. You think you know, but you have no idea, Habakkuk, what's going on. God wanted this prophet to see something that did not make sense, but in the end, God says it would astonish him. God was going to raise up the Chaldeans for his own purposes. With these words, Habakkuk had a second complaint, right? Because that's what we do, right? We complain, God answers. We don't like that answer, so we complain some more. How human. These are Habakkuk's protests against the God he loves and knows, but what little does he really know? When life gets hard, oh, how easily do we complain? No matter your age, no matter your status, no matter how much knowledge, no matter how many degrees you have, if you have more degrees than Fahrenheit, it doesn't matter how little do you actually know compared to God. Chapter 2 opens up with words from Habakkuk about looking and watching. That in these protests, he will stand and wait in his watchtower. Now, I'm sitting there, heard translations about watchtower. The watchtower was basically the place where he met with God and intervened for his people. For leadership, for the citizens, for the holy, for the wayward, for the nation. He is, in essence, telling God, I am not going to leave this spot until you answer me. Now, there was another man that had this bluntness with God. His name was Job. And just like Job, Habakkuk will realize that what he thought God was doing will fall short of the truth about God's holiness, his power, and his glory. The beautiful thing about this is that just like Job, like I said before, God answered Habakkuk. 
Could you imagine you lashing out at God over and over? And then he speaks. If this is not an act of grace by itself, that God would speak to us. I think if we had this in our mind, we would never take this for granted. This is, a, this is the written words from God's mouth. Bought with blood and tears and history and struggle. We got this because people that loved God did not give up. They sacrificed themselves for us to have his words. That God would answer us. That he would write a book for us. We need to believe this. We can learn one thing from Habakkuk. That to truly receive an answer from God, we have to lay down the fear of that answer. We can't go to God with a question and already know how we want him to answer. You know what that's called? That's called making God into our image. If God looks like you and acts like you and is as moody as you, it's not God. But we do this. And I don't think we necessarily do it on purpose. This is our default effect. That's why we need to constantly come back to the truth, to our identity of who we are and who he is. Because when our lives get busy and things get complicated and tragedy happens and things don't make sense, it can just do something to the mind and the heart that it can contaminate our, our view of God. And we need to come back to the view of how God displayed himself so that we can remind and find our hope and trust him in that moment. This is what Habakkuk the prophet for the people did. He laid down the fear of the answer. And how do we know this? Because he wrote it. He wrote it down. He obeyed. Write the vision, make it plain. God told him to write what he sees and write it in big, plain letters. Why? So that he who reads it can run. That word run means that he can live in this vision. That this vision would give him the bloodline of him to continue to follow God would be. To live in it. But this was a vision that was going to take time. And it had an appointed time. Meaning... It was on God's table so that it would produce God's results. And God knows how impatient Habakkuk would be. He knows how impatient we can be. He knew Habakkuk's impatience. He knows yours. So God tells him it is a vision that you will have to wait for. But it will come. And the last statement in this section, is, I love it, says it will come it will not delay. It's like a, like, a, like a father and mother, a kid anticipating something. Just wait. It's coming. It's coming. What, that anticipation, this excitement that built. Like God saying, listen, you're going to have to wait for it, but it's coming. Just trust me. It's coming. I'm coming. It reveals two things. One, to live in this vision that God was about to say, we must trust and be loyal to God because nothing's going to hinder this appointed time. And the second thing is that we must know and believe and trust that nothing 
on earth can stop God's mission. It doesn't matter how evil this world is. It doesn't matter how how much injustice is done in this world. It doesn't matter if you're in a, a safe place or a harmful place. It doesn't matter if the world's going in chaos, if all is peaceful. It doesn't matter because nothing will stop God's mission. You know, one of my favorite verses is in Romans where it says, nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. God is so jealous and so passionate that it doesn't matter what's going to happen on this earth because nothing's going to stop him from accomplishing his glory spreading on the earth, which is your joy. He wants to see a joyful people. That is his mission to have children that absolutely love him and reflect him so that more children are born. Nothing. Oh, how the old saints that lived before us would say it. Nothing will stop him. Nothing. If they could come down now, I bet you that they would say, hold on. He's coming. He's right at the gate. He's just waiting for the go. He's coming for you. He's coming for those that you love. Maybe instead of being complaining and aggravated that people or the ones that we love aren't walking a certain way, why don't we just unleash the Holy Spirit on them? Lord, you are the great convictor. You are the hound dog that goes and gets them. It doesn't matter what darkness, what table they're at, what they're looking at. It doesn't matter. Just unleash the Holy Spirit in their life to grab and capture and take hold of their heart. I think sometimes we complain because we, we, we inwardly feel like we need to do it. We're not the saviors of the world. I had a, 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 I don't know if it was a friend, I can't remember. Maybe it was my wife who likes to hit me in the soul with truth sometimes. But somebody who told me once, I can't remember who it was, says, you know, when we're in Washington, Spokane don't need another savior. They already have a really good one. And I was like, Kuh. Just punch me in the throat. But it's true. But it's, it's truth. See, they had to wait for it because the answer was going to come in the very next verse. And the answer is so simple yet so profound that even we who believe in God of the Bible have a hard time believing this. But this entire book oozes with this answer. This answer is one that many writers of the Bible will come back to and have been stated since Genesis from the beginning. It is the answer for the world. It is the answer for us. And God opens his vision with these words. Verse 4. Oh, sorry. I'm snotting all over my face. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He's not okay. He's not in good standing. No matter how much he thinks, it's, he's puffed up. He's prideful. But, I love the buts of the Bible. The buts saved my life. Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy, that was the, that but changed 
my life. And here we got another one. And there's two buts in this passage. It's going bad, but. It's going bad, but. What's the but saying? God's doing something. It's God who initiates this. Not you, Habakkuk. Not you, Kerr. Not you, Mimi. Not you, Jeff. Not you, everybody. It's God who initiates this. But the righteous shall live by his faith. How is Abraham described in the Bible? A man of faith. It wasn't his works. It wasn't him offering himself to bring up his son to sacrifice him. It wasn't everything he did. It was faith. The reason we can stand before God as righteous isn't because, just like that last time, we bring nothing to him. Faith is what makes us righteous. The purpose of this vision was to draw man back to its creator and king, master and loving God. This is the whole reason God was bringing the Chaldeans up. In this moment, this, because of this happening, it would cause the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is how God enacted his mission. Now, I want to just make this statement, and I'm going to end right here. All these complaints weren't about the Chaldeans. That God answered. That God's response wasn't about the Chaldeans. This is about what his people were doing, and that's why the Chaldeans were being unleashed. This is how he said that my people are puffed up. This is the state of mankind. This is their need. They're empty. I want to fill them. But it's through faith. The other but here that I love is the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He's not, a God that, he's not a God that's made by hands. He's no mind-created God. He's not contained by shrines and stones. He is a God that is in his temple. And when he is revealed, man will be silent, look, see, wonder, and be astounded like verse 5 in chapter 1 stated. When man sees God, and how did God make sure that man sees him? He became man. He didn't send some fairy dust in the earth. He's not talking and speaking on mountains anymore. He's not flashing down with lightning in the right tablets. He came in person. That was the fulfillment of this vision. It took time. It hadn't appointed. But he came. And God made himself known. And this is Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. When you see Christ, does he not astound you? Does he not bring you in awe? Did he not baffle people? He baffled these Pharisees, yet children loved him. The broken embraced him while the religious leaders shunned him. Everything God said in this vision, it's, gonna, it's just going to shock them. They've never seen anything like it. And here comes Jesus Christ. 
We know him. We have faith in him. And because of this, we are righteous and we shall live if we have our faith in him. The truth from both Habakkuk and us is that our faith in God revealed in Jesus is what keeps us. Let's pray. Lord, I'm known to pray very long, so I'm not. But I will pray this, Lord. In Habakkuk, you talk about a faith that keeps. A faith that keeps. And the only faith that keeps is an eternal faith. Faith in the eternal one. Lord, I pray that everybody here will behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May we see no other face. May we not be puffed up, Lord. Maybe some of us need to hear it. You're puffed up. Maybe some of us are doing dishonest things. I don't know. Maybe us think that we're okay, that we got everything set, our finances set, so there's no harm coming. Oh, Lord, please do not allow us to put our security in our own hands. Humble us, Lord. The humiliation of man brings forth the salvation of God. Just like that song we sang, Lord, lowly and poor, I have nothing. So, Father, I pray over your children. I pray that they would be encouraged by this hard book. But be encouraged because you have their life in your hands. That you watch them. You're paying attention to them. Not in this fearful boogeyman sense, but in the sense of a loving father. What loving father would not pay attention to his children? You're not passive. You're not like most of our dads that we grew up with. You are very intimate and relational and loving and challenging and beautiful. May today we put our faith in you like we've never done before. Maybe we need a rekindling, a renewal, or just a confirmation. And Lord, I, I believe maybe some of us need to cry out for you. Jesus, save me. My favorite verse in the Bible is Psalm 119.19. I am yours, save me. But bless your people. Bring them joy. Help them in their hardships. Love them with your word. And as a body of Christ, help us to fulfill your commandment you gave us in loving one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kerr. Um, we will be reminded and conclude as we always do, but uh, hang tight. We want to have a prayer time uh, right after we read the commission together. But let's remember that when there, 
God gives us a word, and sometimes it's a particular word that he speaks into our hearts that we, he wants us to hold on to, and the struggle that Habakkuk was feeling uh, that, that but God, but God, you said this, and this is what's happening. So we have our own buts, and he comes in and says, hey, trust me, trust me. I pray that we would all live by faith and be obedient by faith. So let's be reminded, as we remember Jesus' words to his disciples, his, his words to us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen.